to Executive Perspective, Behind the Business. In this podcast, we bring you insights and perspectives from government leaders and executives around the Beltway and beyond. Welcome to Executive Perspective. I'm your host, Doug Russell from Washington Zec. Today, we are sitting down with Wayne Lewandowski, currently Senior Vice President and GM of HITRUST. He brings 25 plus years in the GovCon space, mostly in sales leadership roles, has been cultivating a lot of teams, and he's done a lot really well with disruptive technologies and selling those in the space. So welcome, Wayne. Thanks, Doug. We enjoy having you here on the program. One of the things I want to kind of dip into is a little bit about the sales career and building teams out. So my first question is really, you've been doing this for a long time and managing sales and technology has kind of advanced a lot in the federal space. And the, what's kind of understanding maybe the as the dynamic for technologies change and also maybe change how people are selling and how the government's buying. So I was wondering, you've had a lot of success in building these teams out. And I was wondering if you could share with our audience some of the key components in your mind on building a successful sales technology team. Sure, I'd be glad to, Doug. And I think it differs based on the cycle and maturity of the market you're in as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'll speak mainly from a disruptive technology perspective. Mm -hmm. It is different. And the things that I look for when I'm recruiting an A-team is this is going to be more of a hunter mentality. And I'm looking for individuals that come in very self-initiated, mm-hmm. have a very high personal responsibility, emotional intelligence level. Mm-hmm. And they have the ability to both be very strong in evangelizing technology because in many cases, these are brand new markets and the customer doesn't really know where to assign the value of that. You have to be able to interpret the speeds and feeds of a technology into alignment of mission and objective of an agency so you can drive that towards a use case. And another important component is high energy, high activity. This is not going to be one of those measured approach type of sales mm-hmm. processes. You need to be kind of holding on at the edge of your fingertips at times and, right. and just really be driving it hard. You have to have a network. Mm-hmm. This is critically important from a couple different aspects. One is a channel ecosystem. We all know it takes a village to sell into the federal government. Contract vehicles, partners that have influence and may have insight into something that's a larger aggregate than what you're selling becomes critically important to have that trust relationship there as well as with the customers themselves. If you're going to bring something that is completely new and differentiating in the market, mm-hmm. you have to be able to establish a trust and a credibility with that customer base that they're willing to give you a good look. Very good. Well, one of the things you hit on there, too, is emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. which is something it's, it's there's a book that's out on there. I forget the person who wrote it. How much do you think that has evolved in selling versus my widget is better than other widget versus, you know, now the technology, there's there's some the platform. Now, there's a lot of services, so mm-hmm. it can vary, but it's maybe harder for a buyer on the federal side because then there tend to be more of a low risk buyer. Mm-hmm. So how does maybe if you could drill in a little more about the emotional intelligence and mm-hmm. how much more that's important. I think it's very important. I, I've spent a lot of time just getting that on personal analysis on my own efforts, how I'm mm-hmm. projecting to my teams as a leader. I, as a matter of fact, I've been promoted technology. I have no skin in. Uh, so I'll put that caveat out there is a technology called crystal nose with a K. And what it does is it will give you, a EI score across a bunch of different analytical points of an individual based on a LinkedIn profile. And it gives you an idea, are they more proof-oriented? Do you have to be brief 
and and fact-based or are they more of an emotional buyer and things like that so it could be just people you're trying to establish a relationship with or it could be a potential customer so i look at things like that and and it's changed in many cases the approach that i i've had over the years now you do develop a certain amount of art to sales where you sure. can analyze based on body language and and temperament how people behave to certain types of information but i think any tool like that can really assist you and getting past some of that awkward first couple steps. Right. Sort of maybe it sounds like a never heard of the service. Yeah. Crystal knows. Sounds interesting. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah. It sounds like it's like a trust but verify yeah. type scenario, which you have in place. And, you know, you did mention trust in there. I have a background in business development as well. And one of the things that we always talked about is trusting and liking. So it's kind of a two first. So right. I always said you get them to like you first, then they get them to trust you. And the other things you mentioned there too was, uh, action and then attitude. So I used to have a sales leader talk about, you got to have that double A going. Mm-hmm. He actually used to be a Pittsburgh guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he must've been a good guy. <laughs> yes. He was a good guy. So it was, uh, that's what he talked about a lot in some of the sales meetings and sort of that action attitude. So is there any other attributes that you look for beyond those things as sort of the self-starter, self-motivated things that you found that's maybe people wouldn't think of in terms of a salesperson or Business development person, will you clarify that? Well, I'd say there's a big difference there too. And most of my comments are related to sales individuals because Mm -hmm. I think when you think of a business development person, traditionally is going to get some of these activities that I just mentioned. They're going to have the actions. They're going to be out in the marketplace. They're going to build trust with customers in particular, especially as you look at long-term program capture and things like that. Where I, I think it differs from business development to sales Mm -hmm. is initiating towards a managed close. And this is an important component. There's lots of folks, especially in the government market, that have more of a business development orientation. Doesn't necessarily mean that they have the ability to sell disruptive product and be able to bring that to close. So having that type of tenacity and problem solving Mm -hmm. to continually drive towards closure, that becomes infinitely important because Unlike large capture, where there are defined timelines and award schedules and things like that, that's not necessarily true if you're selling a product. Right. So there's definitely a differentiation in the product versus service selling. Well, one of the things that uh, I want to kind of jump in, stay on kind of the sales tracks and business development, what is something that's maybe a, a misperception that you think from a business development person and having managed a lot of people throughout your mm-hmm. sales leadership school? Oh, I think that's easy is that the perception of sales is this is the easiest fun job and you just make a ton of money, right? And I think we all know- Everyone can us, do it. That's right, <laughs> right. Look at those, those uh, you know, guys and women, they're just get, having lots of fun, having dinners, playing golf, and that is far from the truth. And I, I think that's the biggest misnomer when you see folks that might be adjacent to a, a sales organization and say, gosh, I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna give that a try. and. What you quickly find out is the personal responsibility that's necessary to command the territory, to drive the behavior, mm-hmm. build out the marketing connections, both internally selling as well as externally to the customer is an enormous effort that requires an incredible amount of self-discipline. And that's right. true if it's a large organization or a small one. And that comes with great reward potentially, right? but also great risk. Statistic I heard a number of years ago from a trusted recruiter friend of mine is that the average IT salesperson is in the job 21 months. 
So the ability to have turnover in your career, pretty high. Yes. <laughs> and I don't think that's necessarily true in other careers. True. True. I, I would tend to agree with that, you know, in, in terms of identifying turnover in intensity. One of the other factors, I don't know if you find this true or not, is people that may be outside looking in, is that the the level of rejection that you get right. as a business development or salesperson that's actively in a pursuit that people may not realize that right. they see the flash, they see this sort of, you're doing the fun dinners, but how many no's they had to get through to get to a yes. Absolutely. So do you have any comments on that in terms sure. of the rejection or? Absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's even more difficult now to start out in a sales career. When I started in, it was really kind of a, a fairly basic technology. So we're talking pre-cell phones. I'm, I'm that old. I was actually selling pagers to businesses. And mm -hmm. we didn't have inside sales teams. We didn't have the internet to do some type of self-selection of customers and right. things like that. So it was really you going out there and, and literally pounding the pavement. Mm -hmm. And now there's a lot more of a formalized approach of both from how you execute in a, in a technology sales environment, but also from a career perspective. Right. If you're 22, 23 years old, you want to get into sales, you don't just carry a territory and have that responsibility. You start in inside sales, right? And even in inside sales, there is a hierarchy and it generally starts with you picking up the phone and just ponding through contacts, right? So you want to talk about rejection in sales. There's no better place to find it there. And yes. as I've recruited inside sales teams to support my sales organization, mm -hmm. I generally tell those folks, hey, look, you're going to come in every day and you're going to live on the one to 2% win. The rest of the time, it's going to be rejection. And you have to understand that that's the kind of numbers we're working with. Right. And if you get your head wrapped around that, you can divorce yourself from the emotional connection to right. the rejection right. and keep going towards the win. I would agree with that as well. So I think it's, you have to mentally take, remove the emotion out of it. Absolutely. That's the part I think where some people, I think the people that divides people to make success is the people that are be devoid of emotion and allow that ability right. to and then also the continuity. I think there's a other, I guess, a component of a, a good business developer is persistence. Yes. People don't see that all the time. Sort of Absolutely. they just see the flash. I think it's sort of underneath that these deals, especially in the federal space, which are much larger, more complex. And then also we have a lot of movement in the environment now where a lot of shifting players are changing, technology changing, right. the, the persistence elements. So I don't know if you found that true in you know, last in your current role and then something else, the, the element of persistence with some maybe your team you work with and you maybe personally and cultivating these relationships, which ultimately sometimes I think that really what makes it mm -hmm. is that how much persistence plays into that over my technology is better. Right. That's for sure. And the market has changed quite a bit. I like to uh, lament at times with folks that are in my age bracket and been doing this since the early 90s. And, and we can honestly say we lived through the good old days of government procurement of technology, right. where you could go to a base or to a specific division, get trust, build a value case and sell it. Now, a lot of the buying is centralized, which is good in some, some regards, because if you really have something compelling, right. the deal structure can be bigger. But Procurement regulations and acquisition change has not happened in any really dramatic way that mm -hmm. has made this easy. In many cases, it's become that much harder. So persistency is incredibly important. Right. Well, thank you for that. 
I want to kind of go back. Maybe you can share in the sales domain. There's always a couple good war stories. Always. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a good pager war story. (laughs) (laughs) I can start with a short one there, but I've got one that I was thinking about. Uh, You know, I I like to say my claim to fame as it relates to persistency is I worked for Bell Atlantic prior to them becoming Verizon. And I I, uh, transferred down from Pittsburgh office to work in Northern Virginia. Mm -hmm. And I had a brand new virgin territory called Northern Virginia. And and that was my territory, primarily Fairfax County. And in one summer, I cold called in person every single suite in every single building in Tyson's Corner. (laughs) And had to ignore all the no soliciting signs on the doors. And young man, did you see that sign? No, I didn't. So who do I need to talk to about your communication requirements? That was, I think, a good start, much like folks get today and working inside sales role. You have to really go through that type of just getting at it every day and just grinding it out and having the mental fortitude to continue on. Yeah, it's sort of a rite of passage. So absolutely. The question is, though, I wonder is if these the street selling is sort of less but now with technology and all these, you know, buildings are built out and, you know, there's a, I think a larger firewall. Is it, I don't hear as much about the cold calling aspect of street sales, mm-hmm. get the phone book out, just start on, start on the A through C. And that's what you have, which is a lot of traditional sales organizations. Kind of that's how you basically, this is what you have. This is, th- these are your five zip codes. You have right. to go work it. Does that happen as much now? Do you think with the technology of services and then now with like things like LinkedIn, it's kind mm-hmm. of maybe change that? That's a good question. And I, I'd say in direct opposition to a lot of modern sales methodologies. And what I mean by that is there's this notion of a buyer's journey that the buyer self-selects and goes from an unconscious need to a conscious one, does some analysis, and then down-selects to a couple technologies. Here's the problem with that is pick cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. That's a huge amount of technology in various aspects. And even if you were to take a singular aspect of it, there's always emerging companies that are coming out. So it can be very crowded very quickly getting top of mind. Right. And the only way to really dispel from that and put yourself to the front of the line is through building those trusted relationships. Right. That hasn't changed how you approach that person instead of a well-crafted letter that goes in a FedEx envelope, becomes an email, becomes a LinkedIn message. But those types of things are still critically important that you have proof of value. You can summarize in a succinct way how you're aligning to that individual's needs because nobody has time to just buy unwanted technology. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's changed a lot. And too many people, I think, are waiting for the phone to ring. And that's where you can get hung up. Right. No, that's that's a good answer. I think the medium which people are communicating that message has changed. But the overarching thing, if you can deliver the value. Right and map that to the customer, then you have higher, the same thing. higher level of chance to be successful. Right. Well, I want to pivot a little bit here. I have a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about in more from a career standpoint. Okay. You've been in sales for 25 years. We've alluded to it a little bit about, you know, how it's changed. Right. Now, the question would be sort of, you know, what advice would you give yourself, a younger mm-hmm. self in terms of career? And what would you say? And I even put out a follow in there. So would you go into sales? as a younger person? <laughs> For myself, yes. To the second part of the question, without question, the freedom that's offered with mm-hmm. the sales career, the financial opportunity, the ability to really 
carve your own path, I, I think there's no field that can do that in a way that's as meaningful as in a sales career. I've never questioned my direction, mm-hmm. never considered any other options. And I, I just don't think I would be suited for anything beyond that. But what, would, what kind of advice would, you know, middle-aged Wayne give young Wayne? Well, that, that's simple. Young man, be a little more patient. Early in my career, I wanted it all faster. And that could be from continuing to drive the opportunities to driving positional change in my career in an organization. And what I've learned is sometimes you have to extract yourself from your current needs, Mm -hmm. look at the broader picture, and no doesn't always mean something negative towards you. It could be bad timing for the organization. There could be something better coming down the line. And if you just have a little bit more of a measured approach, you'll probably get what you want if you're really doing the proper efforting with the, the outcome that should be expected. And one of the questions that I always ask myself really every day and anybody that I talk to as a partner, a customer, a colleague, somebody that's on my team and challenge them to do the same thing is always think as you're talking to somebody or preparing to, what's in it for them? And if you take that level of extraction away from yourself and with a little more humility and understand that you have to provide value to other people, regardless if they're above, adjacent, below you, this becomes really important. And if you can do that, I think you'll have the outcome that you really want. The earlier you can learn that, yes, I think the better. (laughs) I think that's the trick. The how do you give yourself, how do you give a young person context without having experience? So the how do you... That's the part I think would be tricky. How do you inject someone with the experience of knowing that you have to be patient in a young person? If you can kind of psychologically psych yourself into thinking, okay, right. this is going to take a long time. Yeah. And, and that's part of leadership, I think. Not necessarily being a manager, because a manager is going to measure metrics and, and look at output on a day-to-day basis, especially take that very junior person or even a senior salesperson. Hey, where are you at for the year? Where are you at for the quarter? What does your meeting cadence look like? Right. Things like that. But sometimes it's having the reassurance to say, okay, look, let's, let's break down the plan. Let's go through the process of how you were trying to achieve a certain end game mm-hmm. and ensuring that we're doing those things on a monthly, daily basis so that you build towards that outcome with some expectation. It shouldn't be a surprise that you get to where you get. And and that goes to even things like forecast management. I mean, this is one of the the faults that I see folks that have been in sales for 20 or 30 years is they think that if they put it into Salesforce and give it a date within quarter, magically it's going to happen. Nothing could be further from the truth. Old Salesforce always it comes back, <laughs> rears its head. It really does. <laughs> that close date is important. You got to be updating all Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. That is true. So, want to ask you a, a different thing, kind of fall in line with some of the things in terms of learning and growing. If there's maybe a time in your life where you maybe stretch yourself beyond mm-hmm. what you would normally do, that and kind of what you learn from that process. Absolutely. I would tell you that it's. Uh, been in the last 10 years, as a matter of fact, an organization I was working for at the time, we were uh, pre-acquisition, pre-IPO, in a fairly high growth. So we increased headcount across the organization in, in all aspects. I was running the federal team at the time, and we hit kind of a plateau, if you will. Mm-hmm. And cuts were made across the company, not just in sales. And I found myself with a 50% reduction in my sales team and also no longer a manager. 
And so I had to carry a bag. So my choices were, again, there's this patience aspect that I talked right. about. And, and I had to come to the conclusion that if I believed in this for my team to do it, it should be good enough for me. Right. And I had to do a little bit of an ego check. Humble pie. Yeah, absolutely. It was served warm and with a large <laughs> portion. And, and I uh, took on the territory. It became incredibly successful with it. Right. I, at the same time, never shirked the responsibilities that I informally still held right. and continued on with that without being asked or expected to be compensated for that. And ultimately what ended up happening is drove a overly high performing team as well as territory as I converted back into the, the VP of the division. And prior to getting acquired, the, our team delivered 40% of the global number as the federal team. Wow! And so it was a, a, a great learning experience for me to be humbled, persistent, drive towards it, know that, hey, in a smaller company at times, you're going to have to just go with the flow. And you have to look at yourself as being part of the team and we just have to achieve a certain result. And whatever role you have to play, that's what you got to do. Right. It's like a teacher became the student, right? Exactly. So you kind of have the flip. So, I mean, the, did you find that you maybe sharpen certain skills that you're maybe kind of back on the front lines at all? Or you kind of, you're kind of working, moving maybe from not theory, but sort of in a, in a, in a weird way that you are maybe, hey, a managerial aspect. Now you're sort of doing some more of the right. front end work that maybe you hadn't done in a while. There was a little cobwebs there for sure, right? No question. <laughs> right. I've always been a very clear leader on what I felt as a salesperson was necessary. Right. And majority of my career, two decades, was carrying a bag. So I, I think that's fairly well ingrained in my DNA. Some you know day-to-day behavior changed pretty dramatically, but it wasn't that hard to get back into it because I still enjoy it. I mean, right. it would never I would never be fearful to have to do that if that's what was called of me got it well i want to change change directs a little bit a couple of more personal things you mentioned pittsburgh you know you're from pittsburgh Mm -hmm. i don't know how much traveling you do do you have a favorite city you like to visit and why sure yeah we travel quite a bit my wife and i this is uh being empty nesters this is probably one of the more joyful parts of our personal time and Spent some time thinking about that question, and, and I'd say it's kind of a toss-up between two cities. One is Heidelberg, Germany, and the other Ooh. one is Nice, France, and oh. uh, which we made our first trip there this past May. Mm-hmm. And I would say the reason that we we like and I like both of those cities, it, there's a certain amount of old-world charm mm-hmm. that are in both those towns. Small streets, mm-hmm. lots of different shops. You feel like you're experiencing something very authentic with local food and, and markets and things like that. And just sort of the, the pace of a European city like that mm-hmm. is dramatically different than what you would experience in LA or Miami or something like that. Yeah, I, I would say so. How do you like that hike up that hill to that castle in Heidelberg? Uh, yeah, the, yes, <laughs> I, very fun. And, and the incline as well. I'd go up there and have a beer overlooking the city in the yes. Neckar River. It's, uh, it's quite beautiful. Lots of bikes. Yes. Bikes everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to Nice, but uh, I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, the French Riviera is amazing. It really is. I've been to the Italian Riviera. Okay. I admit, if you like that, you may try the Italian Riviera. I'll have to give that a shot. So the Malfi Coast is pretty amazing. Yes. So I know your technology, you're selling technology. Do you have a favorite technology or an app or device that you use 
on a consistent basis. I do. And it, it's it's not going to be earth shattering what I tell you, Doug. <laughs> it, it, it's really two apps that do the same thing. It's just I have some of my assets across both of those is the Kindle app and Google Playbooks. And it, it's for very practical reasons is I travel an enormous amount of my career and my bag just continues to get bigger and heavier all right. the time. And I, I consume quite a bit of content from a reading perspective. And the idea that it's electronic reduces my form factor and one less thing that goes in the briefcase. And, and it allows me to you know, just continue to really use that otherwise potentially wasted time while you're waiting for a flight to take off or sitting at a gate or something like that. I, I can consume hours and hours of reading in, in a month. What's on the hot list now? So mm-hmm. in terms of reading, what, what's currently... In your Kindle or Google. Sure. Play. Some stuff I'm sure everyone would consider really fun. They're sales books. <laughs> like reading. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> those are the kind of things I take to the beast. So I'm one of those guys. <laughs> it's really two books. One was called New Sales Simplified. And mm-hmm. then the management version of it, Sales Management Simplified by an author called Mike Weinberg. And this really goes to the core essence of some of the things we just talked about today, Doug, mm-hmm. which is that let's dispel with all the belief that LinkedIn and Google are going to drive all the leads and just going to put them on a silver platter for you. You still need to have a proof of value. You need to understand the metrics that you're measuring towards the success and output that you're expecting from a revenue perspective. You have to have a deliberate intent on how you go about your day-to-day efforts in sales. The inverse of that, of course, is how you manage in those same same areas. Let's, let's cut the BS and realize that it's still a heavy lift. There's a reason why that you can be very successful in sales, and it's because it's hard. Right. And so right. do the work. Do the work. <laughs> That's a great underlining, I guess, I think, uh, premise for those books. I have to check those out. Yeah. Well, I think that's maybe a good spot for us to wrap up. Okay. I appreciate your time today and everyone check it out. Wayne Lewandowski, SVP, GM at Hytrust. Thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Doug. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us on Executive Perspective Behind the Business. Visit our website at www.washingtonexec.com for more content and episodes.